0: Welcome to Judaism Demystified, a podcast for the perplexed. We are joined by Maury Michael Shalomo Baron. Maury Baron is a publishing Torah scholar. He is both a communicator of archaeology and science in general to Torah observant and Torah loving audiences, Jewish and non Jewish, as well as a communicator of a broad perspective, rational Torah view to secular audiences. He is a lifelong student of Torah and science, particularly biblical archaeology biological, anthropology, and environmental science. His Orthodox Torah journey began in 1995 at Yeshivat Or Sameach, leading him to a rabbinical training at Chehebar Sephardic Center in Jerusalem and years of tutelage under rabbis and scholars of Sephardic and Yemenite Maimonidean tradition, most notably Harav Reuven Levtov and Maurice Shelamo Ben Avraham of Mechon Mamre, both of blessed memory. He received a B.A. in physical anthropology with a minor in Judaic studies from UC San Diego. Per his background in evolutionary biology, he might be the only orthodox trained rabbi with a university education in evolutionary biology, giving him a unique ability to see the poorly recognized synergy between both approaches to our creation. Together with his collaboration with his mentor, world-class Egyptologist and historian, David all under academic supervision of his mentor, Dr. Peter Van Der Veen of the University of Mainz. This has given him a rare grasp of scientific facts on the ground that enable him to answer educated doubters, critics, and deniers on their own turf. Mauri Baron has become, in recent years, a groundbreaking academic researcher in his own right. His new translations of proto-Syanitic inscriptions in the Sinai Desert have received critical support from academics, revealing them to be priceless relics from the periods of Israel's sojourn, slavery, and exodus, which has led him to become an important contributor for Academia.com and two Patterns of Evidence films. Without further ado, Maury Baron. Thank you for joining the Judaism Demystified podcast. Uh, Maury Baron, can you tell us a little about yourself and also your program that you're running currently?
1: Um, sure, definitely. Um, I am probably one of the most, uh, um, have one of the most unique educational backgrounds, um, having come into Syria's Torah, you know, chuvad about 21 um, from an evolutionary biology background. Uh, I was into biological anthropology. I've maintained, um, um, you know, my, my keep, keeping up with that with that field, and I basically found myself in a niche where I do outreach, um, but on an intellectual level. So, um, groups like Isha Torah, uh, Rav Amnon Yitzchak, Okay, Yosef Mizrahi, I do essentially. Uh, Or, I had, you know, I have done throughout the years that, but on an academic level, if you could say. That's kind of the simplest way to explain it. And I've since uh, uh, branched out into uh, other things, um, basically being a bridge, being more of an explainer of Torah to secular audiences and an explainer of um, good science to uh, religious audiences. So uh, today I now have taken um, a couple of steps back from Rabbinics uh, to focus more on um, the epigraphy. So I now study uh, the early the inscriptions in the earliest Hebrew, uh, the earliest Hebrew script uh, found in the Sinai Desert. Paleo, um,
0: Paleo-Hebrew.
1: Yeah, exactly. and. Um, Although it may seem unrelated, it's actually uh, in in the field, in this this wider field of basically strengthening the foundations of Emunah, also in the Torah Shebikhtav, the written Torah, and the Torah Sheb'alpeh, the uh, the oral Torah. I also do Samaritan studies. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, again, it's maybe a little bit too uh, deep to get into, but... Uh, that's extraordinarily important because they're an important outside witness um, that can really, uh, you know, so, in, sometimes in so, certain ways function as a um, as 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 an ancient relic. So there are certain points of Torah shebe'al and and um, and even the fact that they have a, a textual variant, which um, which has elements that are uh, extremely ancient. So these sorts of different fields, whether it be Dead Sea Scrolls study, uh, Samaritan studies, Septuagint studies, um, uh, I, Egyptology.
0: I was just uh, to yeah, <laughs> Yeah, we we'll we'll go
1: Sure. sure. And I uh, was now accepted uh, to uh, do a doctorate at Ariel University in um, archaeology, focusing on my work uh, in epigraphy. But um, I've tried to maintain how can you say, uh, a, a, a some 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 strength in all of these fields in order to have the big picture? And that's my new brand, it's called Big Picture Torah. So, uh, we have a website, bigpicturetorah.com. There, anyone can learn more.
0: Beautiful, amazing. So, I actually wanted to get into a topic that not a lot of rabbis are maybe comfortable having a discussion about, or maybe knowledgeable enough to have a discussion about, but I've always been fascinated with, you know, the, how the Torah fits into ancient, the ancient Near East, and uh, especially the age of the universe, and the theory of evolution, um, you, you mentioned to me off camera that, you know, you believe that it's uh, um, it synergizes well with the Torah and faith, and it actually deepens it, so a lot of people find the opposite to be true, so I just want to get your perspective on that
1: um yes well that's um absolutely that the the, uh, the evolution is simply the how the the torah gives us a particular picture of things which is um in fact we have two different pictures in the torah of the same thing right we have the first story of creation the six days and then we have the uh the second chapter of genesis which is a little bit more symbolic and it's more you know anthropocentric it's like from the human perspective and um to my humble understanding both of them are really just are different perspectives on the same thing you have the macro uh of the six days and those are that's a, a, much more of a of a, of a rationalist perspective mm-hmm. um you have uh, it, it really basically the way that you would describe that in the middle bronze age okay um or you know in in the, in the in the in the biblical past you know how would you explain to the ancients um these concepts that the universe was created over a process and that you have different epochs that are punctuated by chaos um mm-hmm. you know you, you, the concept of eravoker um, is explained uh, beautifully by the Ramban Nahmanides as essentially chaos and order selection cuz right the root of that is like that of like the like, is which is uh, to mix a mixture or chaos and boker, right that is like like checking or selecting mm. so um, and again because this is a gadic and i always try to uh, to uh emphasize this with my tamidein with my students that we we very much try to walk in the footsteps of the of the rishonim the geonim when it comes to these things mm-hmm. um my approach to genesis is not some um you know new age uh kumbaya let's try to make them fit together but um we actually uh, are like are like midgets standing on the shoulders of giants uh, who gave us, you know, these these foundations. So unlike, for example, um, you know, with all respect, of course, the uh, the evangelical Christian crowd and you know the Muslims and you know they, they are uh, actually I would say that, uh, that the Muslims really have you know their philosophers and science and, and and scientists and so I, actually I'm not going to not even going to touch that. But when it comes to other people who are trying to make the Bible fit, they are working within a basically no oral tradition. Very, very, uh, very little. Um, you know, they have their church fathers or whatever, but it's not the same. We, on the other hand, um, have mefarshim. We have commentators going, you know, uh, a, a thousand years or more. In fact, you can take a rationalist uh, a Torah approach. All the way back to the Hellenistic era, to the, to the times of, uh, of, of Philo and earlier, um, so um, the, you, you can take it really back to the times of the um, the, the, the Great Library of Alexandria, where you had a um, a, a Persian librarian who was a Jew, and um, one of the most important scholars of that time. So, we actually have a very deep history of approaching Torah exegesis in a rationalist way that that, that fitting with the science of our times
0: hmm. so I actually I interviewed Dr. Gerald schroeder, um who's you know, someone who I really look up to, but I don't agree with everything he says. And he presents kind of a feels like a more of an apologetic uh, point of view regarding the age of the universe, where it's like, Based on relativity, the universe is six thousand years old and you know, fifteen billion or fourteen billion years old simultaneously. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, you know, from your perspective, how do you how do you see that? How do you see the age of the universe um in regards to the text, being as honest when looking at the text as possible?
1: Mm-hmm. So first of all, Dr. Joel Schroeder is a person I tremendously respect. In fact, uh, he's probably one of the few individuals who had a real hand in my becoming Torah observant and inspiring me to a life of Torah. Uh, So, you know, I I stand very much on his shoulders, on those uh, Professor Nathan Aviezer and uh, and others. But um, essentially, you know, a lot of his work is very quality, my humble opinion. But my difficulty with it, particularly with his first few days of creation, Mm -hmm. is that he doesn't stick to Peshat. And um, I am a very deep lover of Peshat. And I always say that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And if, you know, at least you have to have a pretty strong argument that you wouldn't need, you know, the code, so to speak, in order to be able to look at Genesis, even from in, you know, ideally even from an English translation, a good English translation, and, you know, and be able to follow the, uh, the model uh, that is that that's that's being presented. So according to my particular view, uh, the uh, first of all, we had this epic meeting, he and I, and he coming from a, a perspective of uh, theoretical physics. And I coming from a background of um, biology, evolutionary biology, and in uh, anthropology, we just had this incredible, incredible connection. And um, so I ended up building a model similar to his, but where the opening scene of the movie, okay, so to speak, if, if Genesis were a movie, okay, would be uh, the primordial Earth. Where you have the Archaean and Hadean eons with of heavy uh, bombardment, <inaudible> uh, when, the, when everything was 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 chaotic and there was darkness over the face of the deep, that connotes a, uh, a an ocean, a worldwide ocean, right? Mm-hmm. We have uh, little microcontinents that are growing and will coalesce, right? And uh, that will uh, you know uh, bring us to the time when Hashem will separate the land from the waters mm-hmm. and all of these really um, you know from, from there forward everything is is pretty straightforward. The only thing that people have have difficulty with is day four when Hashem uh, creates uh, the, sun. the sun and the moon. And actually uh, if I can share my screen, Please. I will show you how we these actually line up quite nicely. Um, Again, if you understand that the Torah is simply doing more. Because what is the Torah really doing? The Torah, okay, is not just giving you a a scientific view of creation. The Torah is not a science book. Now you can't let that be a cop-out. You can't let, in, in other words, if you're going to accept this as a Torah from heaven, the Torah also shouldn't be communicating false information.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: However, you do need to understand that the Torah is is uh, doing a, a lot with, those, with these verses. And one of the things that it is doing, it is showing you symmetry and patterns. So for example, you have the tables of the days of creation. You have day one, day two, and day three. Okay, which are going to be preparing for day four, day five, and day six. You know, this is just one of the things that the Torah is is doing with those six days. So, for example, on day one, Hashem creates light. That's the main thing. And on day four, right, that light is going to be manifested in heavenly bodies. You have day two with the raqiyah, okay, the atmosphere, okay, separating between the upper and the lower uh waters okay we would understand that as a uh, water and perhaps even life itself being seeded from outer space that is in fact the uh the the, the mainstream theory which has um, only found more and more evidence to it so you know you have this bombardment from o- outer space of ice and then you, you know over time that's going to come and you have the buildup of an atmosphere. And uh, that's going to be like a, you know, a cushioning. Uh, So, and of course the lower waters are the oceans. So there's a lot of grounds here for synergy uh, between these two magisteria. And that's, by the way, sorry, just not back from that aside, that is going to prepare for day five, where you have the fish, who swim in the lower waters, the sea, and the flying creatures that fly in the sky, you know. So, in other words, you you you, you have, you know, this going on. Just to complete it for you, day three, you have seed and fruit, fruit uh, uh, bearing vegetation, that's going to be preparing for day six, where you have. The, the creatures that eat from those in the Torah actually specifically says, and they will eat, you know, of, um, of the vegetation. You have a uh, beast d- domesticated uh, and non and mankind. Now, at the same time, however, I mean, is the Torah, was it only for that generation? So, you know, people who go too far with this are running into another sort of a problem in the sense that, well, what would the Torah then mean for our times? Right. So, um, again, just because of my background in, um, in, these, in these fields of um, in the earth sciences, and uh, it, you have um, it, these days working out quite well with the history of life on earth. So day one, as I explained, works out well, well as the Hadean and Archaean eons. That's easy enough. You know, Ere you have the cataclysms of tohu vavohu, chaos. Um, then, okay, uh, you're going to have a second period of time. Okay, and by the way, how just before we do this, you know, what's the, the, the elephant in the room? Some people are asking, well, how can a day be anything other than a set, period of time right
0: well yom yom in the torah is like a homonym right it can be used in different ways in different places like sometimes it means eras or periods or you know
1: exactly but the simplest way that viewers can 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 uh can see this is in the opening of the second chapter of bereshith of genesis where it says you know this is the history of the the, the, the the heavens and the earth in the day, in the Yom that Hashem created them. So notice that, wait, hold it, I thought it was created in six days. Mm. Now you understand that Yom is not a set period of time, but it is an epoch.
0: Right. So
1: you can look at the whole of creation, you know, before mankind as a period. And you can also divide it into into other periods. So anyway, you have an, a next, this is your simple, these are just earth sciences, and this is a discipline that is over two centuries uh, old, uh, you know, from times of Char- Charles Lyell, the father of geology. So you have now the, Protero- the, the Proterozoic Eon, which is approximately two and a half billion years ago to about half a billion, uh, to, where you have the formation of a protective Life promoting atmosphere. Then you're going to have a, a period of chaos that's going to be the great oxygenation event, right? The great oxygen catastrophe about 2.4 billion years ago. That was the greatest extinction event, okay, in uh Earth history. And it's going to pave the way for a new eon in which higher life could then form. Right. Then you have uh day three, right? And the, what does the Torah say that you know life a uh, 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 plant life uh, uh, arises you know it takes root on the land and uh and the and so that works out beautifully with the the, Paleo- the, the, the the paleozoic era um you know you have pangea at this time and um so it it really works out pretty well
0: actually um, very fascinating that hazal um you know, pointed out without the need to do this because they didn't have the fossil record and they could have easily just stuck with, you know, the 6,000 year, you know, theory. Uh, but they were actually, they actually pointed out the fact that there was, there were worlds that Hashem created and then he destroyed them. Yes, and, and absolutely. That, that's so interesting to me.
1: 100%. There's a lot that takes place before. Um, so anyway, then we have days four, five and six where um, Rashi, and this is why, you know, it's so important that we have our classical commentators, right, because uh, Rashi tells us that that the, actually the sun and the moon, they come from the very, very beginning, but they only appear in the sky on day four. So, um, but what happens to comet, you know, in the next period, which is, you know, the Permian-Triassic uh, border, earlier Triassic, is uh, basically following this most devastating extinction event ever, right, the Permian extinction, Um, you basically have the earth, you know, covered in this, you know, blanket of toxic ash for literally millions of years. And what ends up happening is when you have the atmosphere clearing at this time, and what At the end of that, you basically have a sky that for the first time begins to approach the way that the stars appear in the constellations as we have them today. So again, um, you know, uh, remember the the, the Torah is not a science book, right? Mm. It's poetry. It is symmetry. It is telling us about the relationship between Hashem and man, it is coding for so many things. Mm-hmm. It is um, it, idol smashing, you know. And for example, uh, when it talks about the uh, the stars and the the the, the, the sun and, and the moon, it just it puts them down from from the pagan perspective, rather than being these controllers of our fate, right? Rather than being these um these angels these powerful beings they're just to tell the times they're just for navigation
0: they're just called (laughs) it's called like the great luminary in the sky it's not really called the sun over there and it's it's on the fourth day and it's and it's also there's a pre-existing light right or right there's there's all these ways to kind of downgrade the sun which is a very significant god in the ancient world Hundred
1: percent, and uh, and in day five you're going to have that very strong verb which in which uh, connotes a certain novelty, right? Uh, about the taminim Hagdolim, it's a very strong word of creation, and these are the great sea serpents, you know, the great uh, dragons, and and I personally believe that that they did uncover some dinosaur bones, and uh, you know over the course of you know, even from prehistory. I mean, you don't live on the earth for as long as, you know, the uh, the human race has been along and not come across massive bones. And these are going to be stories that that are carried down. Um, that's why, for example, uh, you know, tanin uh, is sometimes re- uh, replaced with the word nahash. Yeah. So anyway... Uh, 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 but you have this very strong um, uh, p- uh, word for the creation of the taninim, of these great sea serpents. Why? Because the Torah is cutting them down to size. So remember, there's so much more going on. But what I'm trying to do, how can I say, we say in Hebrew, let's sell was nine, you know, just to sort of uh, give you an impression, really, that um, the general order of it, there is a good base for it. So once you have the sun and the moon, the stars appearing is essentially you know, in a sky now that looks very much uh, like our own. You have the day and night cycle, which is now approaching 24 hours, mm-hmm. because originally we were spinning a lot faster. We now approach the time of the Shratzim in Hebrew, Right, Shraditzim, which are the, the 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 little critters, and what's amazing is that every clade of creature that is described in day five really appears at this time at the Cretaceous uh, sorry in, sorry in the Mesozoic era. In the Mesozoic era, you really have uh, um, the the rise of the earliest mammals, even though the dinosaurs are are you know dominate um you have uh you know birds you know all of these um uh, clades of of creatures all appearing at this time like the torah says um reptiles and um it's it's quite it's quite amazing and of course the Taninim hagdolim which sorry not sorry they work out beautifully as the i would say archosaurs the archosaurs is this larger group of dinosaurs and crocodilians, and uh, and that of course is being faithful to the concept that you know later on they're clearly crocodiles. It's the Nile croc. Mm-hmm. So um, the Tanini Magdulim are that's the age of the dinosaurs, and then you have the most famous what I call Ereva Voker of them all, which is the Cretaceous-Paleogene extinction event, the KT extinction. You know, the big one two punch that wiped out um, all, uh, almost all of the dinosaurs. I say almost all because birds are actually a type of dinosaurs. All the non avian clades of dinosaurs are wiped out. Ere Vavoker, just like it says in the good book. And you have now day six, the rise of the mammals. And, you know, those are exactly, you know, the, the, the behemoth, the hayot, and the behemoth, and the Torah the Torah is very, very uh, precise with its language. So with enormous respect to Dr. Gerald Schroeder, on whose shoulders I, I stand, uh, that's just my only issue is that sometimes he's not um, close enough to the uh, Peshat, That actually on the sixth day we agree. In other words, I think that he also draws this uh, border between day five and day six with the rise of the mammals, and um, you know that is going to uh, 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 break down with the uh, Toba supervolcano. Anyway, it's uh, this is the general picture of it without getting too much into the micro.
0: Okay, amazing. That was really uh, eye opening. So really, everything kind of aligns with uh, the. Historical record, the fossil record, um, in the Torah, and um, regarding evolution, so I understand it as, or I, I have no problem with the theory of evolution, but really as a guided evolution, and not, you know, like what many scientists today would consider kind of a, a random mutations. Um, so, what are your, what are your thoughts on the evolution of man before Adam, and mm-hmm. culminating in adam because obviously we see that even in the torah there's there's two adams there's there's first there is um adam and then there's ha adam which is like a specific person
1: okay so um what's fascinating is that the torah has man being created like in one breath with the hayoth and behemoth and that is very very profound because human beings, it's not that we are closest to apes, it's not that we're closely related to apes. If you say that biologically speaking, right, um, that, and again, and this is initially going to uh, maybe maybe offend, uh, 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 people don't have a background in this, but people can just wait for a second. But biologically speaking, it is not just genetics it's like 95% of human behavior it's not that we are related to apes we are apes i mean the the distinction between different beetles that look identical okay to a to uh, to a, a non expert okay um uh, which is the slightest difference in like the length of their legs okay are genetically more distinct cannot mate one another with with one another and produce uh a, a, a fertile offspring okay are genetically far different from one another okay you know, thousands of species of of insects than the way that humans clade with chimpanzees and bonobos and in, in fact i always uh, uh, uh you know, troll people with what do you think what do you think are Closer genetically, chimpanzees from gorillas or chimpanzees from Homo sapiens sapiens, us? Who do you think they would be closer to?
0: Um, people will probably say gorillas,
1: right? But in fact, chimpanzees, pantroglodytes, right? Um, uh, uh, bonobos, which is really kind of, kind of like, a, like a type of a chimpanzee, but they're distinct, paniscus and homo sapiens sapiens, we clade more tightly together, all three of us, okay, uh, than any one of us does to gorillas. Now, fascinatingly enough, gorillas together with chimps and and bonobos and humans, clade more tightly together genetically as a group than any one of us does from orangutans. This is genetics, as they say. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, it's it's a it's a trope in, in politics, but facts don't care about opinions. This is you know how people uh, um, you know connect the dots and put it together. That is a different uh, 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 question. Uh, so I mean, liter- it, 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 literally, like for example, let's say I try to pick up this table. Okay, I'm not going to do it because then everything's going to shake. But the first thing that North naturally would do, I, what happen is I would do this. <clears throat> what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I am showing, I have a, I have a, a, a reflex to show my teeth, right? Mm-hmm. To show my sharp things that kind of have almost are non-existent anymore. Um, I'm one of these funny people who can move my ears, don't know if you can see it very well, but where do we get these traits from? They're all over the place in our bodies. Um, We have, I can count very easily about 26, uh, you know, uh, uh, from all sorts of things that we do. For example, um, when it comes to pilomotor response, like for example, you're cold or you are Brightened, all right. What's gonna happen? Your hair is going to stand up. Yeah. Okay. So we know how that feels, but you know, I I I wonder what, for example, with all respect, a Kabbalist, how they would explain why. You know, why? Oh, maybe they would. I don't know, they would try to look in their books or whatever, whatever. Th- there is only one answer. And that is that human beings have as many hair follicles as any other ape. It's just that the hair doesn't actually erupt because we have a gene that stops it. So we actually have fur, residual fur, and we're trying to do what all of our, what our cat cousins and uh, you know and, and primate cousins what um, what their fur does when they are cold. Their hair is going to stand up in order to trap more heat, and when they, and this also works when they are frightened, when they feel threatened, that's going to make them look just ever so slightly, a little bit larger and more menacing to a um, to 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 a predator. And we have these genes inside of us; it's just that they don't all um, uh, uh, work out so. Before I, I answer this question of you, you know how guided evolution and all these things, I the most important thing for people to 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 accept, and then we can ha- have such a discussion, is the fact that we belong to the animal kingdom. Now, before people get all hot and bothered, it's probably too late with some people, <laughs> but uh, what do we have in Kohelet? In Kohelet, right in, in Ecclesiastes. Right, we see havel havel. Sorry. Uh, so you, the preeminence of man over a beast is not, is nothing. Right? For everything is vanity. I'm just going to paraphrase who's to say that the soul of a of, of a human goes up and the soul of a beast goes down, or they both come from the same source and they go back to the same source. They come from the the dust and they return to dust. That is extraordinarily powerful, the fact that, and it's attributed to Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, but you you, you have as part of, 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 of Jewish canon this concept that humans and animals are literally made from the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just that Hashem made them, but literally from the same uh, medium. And, and people have a, have a difficulty with evolution. I ask them as follows. Um, what, what actually makes the fish of the sea in the Torah? They'll say, Hashem, read it again. It's the water. Let the waters bring forth a, 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 a fish why does Hashem have to create things through water? What gives? Uh, w- 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 what gives us? W- w- how are cattle created? People say, Hashem, read it again. The land. Hashem commands the land mm. to bring forth. This works out incredibly as the terrestrial environment, mm. the land environment. Hashem tells the land to bring forth these creatures, the waters, the aquatic environment, right, the seas, to bring forth life. Um, Most people who don't don't accept the evolution of of people, of human beings, will not have such a problem when it comes to animals. The difficulty is that they don't think that it really applies to us. They have all kinds of Uh, points like where are the in-between stages Mm. and I mean that's just really sad because I think that I mean in any normal even secular education you learn that in fourth grade you know um, it's been a generation I don't know you know how the the education of of today's standards but I remember learning that when I was nine years old and definitely the details this is another hang-up that people have they said, "Oh, the scientists are always, you know, changing their minds, and the theory is always, you know, flipping over, and it seems like a big tohu bavohu, and the scientists are just tripping over their feet all the time." That is because of the spin that the media does. You know, Newsweek, Time Magazine, you know, all these uh, Reuters and you know Haaretz here in Israel. What what they do is they that is not primary research. They are simply taking something of the gist of what they understand from a scientific discovery and making drama out of it. Mm -hmm. But in fact, what 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 sometimes are uh, uh, what we commonly happens, which should happen in science because of what science does and how it works, Mm -hmm. is that um, elements of the theory details are being refined, are being corrected, but the general picture of Homo sapiens. Okay, you know before that maybe you have some archaic sapiens, and you, you get to you back to Homo erectus, and then before that you have a, a an earlier creature called uh, Homo habilis, which is basically you know the very first clearly distinct um, hominid on the, on the human line, right? for that, Australopithecines. This has not changed in, since uh, Richard Leakey back in the 60s. This is a, so, um, uh, this is a very big myth that that people have, that uh, the the story is changing all of the time. So where is Hashem in all this? Sorry.
0: Yeah, but I was going to say that, you know, people also don't look to, like you said, look to the Rishonim, look to the Rambam, who says that there's a first cause of everything and nothing just God doesn't snap his fingers and things appear? Even Chazal, when describing the creation of Adam, say it happened in phases. It didn't happen in in one shot. So there there's all these allusions to this. And again, there's no they're not, it's not like they were reading you know uh, you know Scientific American or whatever and try and and oh shoot we have to kind of align the Torah with 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 modern science. No, they they actually. We're just looking at the shot and looking at tradition.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm so glad that you said that and you mentioned Hazal. And I want to speak about my own uh, uh, Torah background. And um, you know, for uh, 20 years, um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the, uh, the Yemenite community. My Mori, um, actually, probably more than that. My 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 own Mori was a student of uh, Rav Kaha, Rav, Rav, Rav Yosef Kapach um the um Israel, Israel Prize uh winning uh, Chacham, uh, giant of his, his generation um also um the, um uh, David Sioni and, um, and Mori, uh, Yahya al who was another uh, giant of the previous generation. and you know, we have it as a as a mora the principle that sorry that means in, like 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 an inherited principle and it's a key and this is going to help so many people is that there are two types of of, of material in the Torah. You have agada and you have halacha. Agada is the legendary material. In other words, anything essentially that is not law, right? And then you have halakha. Which is, of course, you know, the, the legal verses. Now, uh, when anything that is in Scripture that is agadic, you are you 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 learn this not derech peshat You don't learn it according to this. You're not stuck to the simple understanding, but you learn it what's called derech drash and you you can learn it in a homiletic way.
0: It's didactic.
1: Yeah. Didactic, very good. As opposed to halacha, which we learn Dera Habshat according to the simple understanding. Now, when it comes to hazal, it's even more liberal. Where you have, for example, and I don't get it, because you know, I I I I can respect very much the Haredi world, the ultra-orthodox, where you the the, the, the when it comes to the the learning of Talmud, the lifting up of the of the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud of Bavli, to such a high level, and particularly the Vilna edition. Okay. Again, th- 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 there are side discussions we could have on that. But what's fascinating is that every single it- tractate, right? Every tractate of the Babylonian Talmud has an introduction to it from Rav Shemuel Hanagid who was the giant of his generation right this was uh, um close to the time of the Re'ef Rav Yitzhak al-Fasi um the, the, the generation right before
0: him Rambam's father's teacher yeah
1: yes um so the Re'ef was uh, the the uh, uh, uh there's probably another step in between, but he's considered to be the teacher of uh, uh, Ibn Migash, Mm -hmm. who was the uh, teacher of Rav Maimon, who is the father of the Mm Rabbah. So, um, but um, when it comes to the, to the, I'm sorry,
0: (laughs) bring me back. So you're mentioning um you're getting to you're leading into i guess um hashem's what's hashem's involvement in all of this
1: okay i'm uh, sorry we were talking about uh, uh peshat and durash we have yes. this is extraordinarily important Yes. we in the introduction to of, to, of the talmud that mm-hmm. is printed in every single tractate of the the talmud of babli the babylonian talmud mm-hmm. you know in there it tells you how to learn Talmud and how to relate to the teachings of Hazal, Mm -hmm. and explains this difference, you know, between uh, uh, Agadah, you know, and, and, and Halakha, and basically he says, when it comes to Agadah, he says, one is not to believe in anything except that which makes rational sense. Essentially,
0: and also many of the Geonim said the same thing. It's not. It's. It's not just like a dat yachid of like a one. You know, it's. It's. It's all over the Geonim, the Rambam. You know, Avram ben Rambam. It's. It's across the board.
1: There couldn't be anything more important because the moment you are free, you know, from, you know, difficult midrashim, difficult, difficult agadic teachings of Hazal which could very well be teaching something moral. It could be teaching a principle that it's not even meant necessarily to be taken as some sort of a scientific statement, right? The moment that you're free to interpret scripture when it comes to uh, uh, non-legal verses in a freer way, this just makes everything possible from a Torah perspective. So
0: um, so where it is... I actually wanted to read something because I pulled it up on my phone. Um, in Yevamot 63a, um, it says, And Rebeli as Elazar said, what is the meaning of which which it is written? This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In Genesis 2.23, this teaches us that Adam had intercourse with each animal and beast in search for his mate, and his mind was not at ease in accordance with the verse. And for Adam... There was not found a helpmate for him until he had intercourse with Eve. That's one That's one uh, source that kind of supports what we're saying. Another one is uh, Rabbi Shimon the Pious said, these are the 974 generations who pressed themselves forward to be created before the world was created, but were not created. The The Holy One, blessed be He, arose and planted them in every generation. And it is they who are the insolent of each generation. This is in Chagigah. And lastly, I want to mention what the Rambam says in The Guide for the Perplexed in seven, He says, you already know that anyone who does not have this form, which we have described, which is Telem Elohim, uh, is not a man, rather an animal in human form and built. So the Rambam already felt the need to mention that there were other beings. And even if you read the Torah itself, you'll see that there's like a distinction made between Bnei Elohim and Bnei Adam, there's obviously um, they had to have had um, other people because how would Cain and Hevel have children, right? There had to be women. And when Cain kills Hevel, he says, "I, I, I kind of he's asking Shef for protection from other people taking revenge, you know, avenging the murder of his brother. Who are these other people? And there's so many little kind of uh, um, Easter eggs all over the Torah, kind of pointing to the fact that other beings existed."
1: Yeah, like, uh, we should have like pesah eggs or something.
0: <laughs> Seder.
1: <That's> <laughs> Seder eggs. Yeah, Seder, Seder eggs. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Seder eggs.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, sorry but, to throw you off. Hold
1: on a minute. I just wanted to say something. Yeah. This is extremely important because it's it's too late, man. You got me started. Um, when it comes to Masikha Hagigah, now let's do the math if you do the math and you go back to the 974 generations before Adam and understand that a generation is 40 years, okay, generally. So you get close to, if you add that to roughly the 6,000 years, okay, from the Masoretic tradition, um, even better if you work with Septuagint tradition, that's a whole other uh, uh, discussion.
0: discussion For another podcast. (laughs)
1: There you go. But you end up getting to close to fifty thousand years ago. What's extraordinary? What's so powerful about that is that around that time, you have what's called the Big Bang of the Mind, where all over the world, whether it's in Indonesia, whether it's in Africa, we see uh, at the same time, okay, um, art and music. We see we find flutes we find you know a, a, a abstract art of a, of of a hand and um, you know designs that are, that that are carved and it's you see this leap that's really you know between 70 and 50,000 years ago mm. and um, and but so it's now you when it says 974 generations it's not doesn't need to be so precise the whole concept is is there were nine hundred seventy four generations. They're called Doroth, Doroth in the Torah, okay, which means you know or, or organic beings begetting, you know mm-hmm. the next generation that uh, and it says very interestingly enough, the they were wrinkling. Mm-hmm. should not do this too much to be created. Mm. What does that mean? That is perhaps in my, for me, that is the most profoundly inspiring line in the Gemara. I mean, for me, just, you know, in terms of what I do. (laughs) What does that mean? Wrinkling to be created. The problem is, is people don't have the key definitions. What does it mean to be created? So what's beautiful is how the Torah the Homash, if you know how to learn it, and uh, and again you don't have to go to go, you know, carite for this, but the Homash is an incredible um, system of its own. That you know it, it, it can be interpreted, you know, as a system within itself. And the perfect example of that is Avram Avinu. Avram, Avram Avinu comes from Haran, comes from Syria into the land right, with, uh, with Sarai, with the souls that they made in Haran. Iman nefesh right? What, like Avram was a demigod who made souls? No. But the, the, the Torah is coming to tell you, like Rashi says, that these are the people that he brought to the, the faith in Hashem. And you can see that this, connects with uh, at least a, a Christian group. They call themselves born again. And it's not just Christians, but I've actually seen this among uh, a, 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 among Jewish people as well, where when a person discovers Hashem in their life and they get that, that shot of inspiration, they feel like they have been born again. It's like everything that happened until then in their lives mm-hmm. was just like, but they weren't really fully alive. So the moment you have that key, you can understand that creation of Adam works out amazingly as the uh, him discovering the Holy One, blessed be he, is the first person who makes that connection, that consciousness connection, right, between the Almighty and man. And that's amazing because the moment that he's created, like I said, in the second chapter of Genesis, it starts speaking from a human perspective right more symbolic so um it is just it is it's uh it's it's incredible once you have these keys so, they were wrinkling they were frustrated they were contemplating but they were not getting there that's what it says they were the they were not created you know and which means that they were trying to discover the source. They were trying, in a sense, to discover, you know, Sibasi the you know, the 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 uh, the the, uh, the primal cause of it all. But they didn't get there, and therefore they were not created. Wink, winks. Yes. So, you
0: understand? So, so this Ha'adam, is incredible. Ha Adam is really the first navi. Because he's the first person to kind of discover this or, or reach this level of consciousness.
1: Exactly. And now we understand that the, you have to, when you add 974, these generations before Adam, and you add the 26 generations, right, from Adam to Moshe, Adam, Sheth, Enosh, Qainan, Mahal El, Yared, Hanoch, Metu, Lamech, Noah, 10. Right. Shem or Pachad Shelah Ever Peldah R'us Nahor Terach Avram. Right. So you have you have twenty. Then you have Hak, Yaakov Levi Levi. Le, 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 right. Pohath Amram Moshe. Twenty six. Twenty six plus nine seventy four is a thousand. It's a round. Powerful number. Mm. So what essentially Hazal are trying to teach, and I'm sure they didn't they didn't make this up. <laughs> this is something that they inherited, right? You have a very long time of a primordial man ever since there has been higher consciousness, okay, trying to figure it all out, mm. but only finding Hashem. Okay, at the, um, uh, with uh, with Adam, and that is something that is, the moment you understand that, everything makes sense, because what were the religions in the uh, Neolithic period and going back, and in fact still, there are Stone Age religions that still in fact continue in certain parts of the world, which the Rambam, in Moran the guide for the perplexed, relates to as well autism animism, ancestor worship, okay. Uh, these are and uh, uh, these are basically a, a carryovers of Stone Age religion, the relics of which we are discovering today. And to bring it even closer to home on the ape side, we are in a completely different world than a generation ago in terms of what has now been witnessed in terms of science chimpanzees pan troglodytes chimps like you'd see in the zoo i believe in namibia if i'm not mistaken um they were observed throwing stones at a particular tree one after another after another and running away and it it is there there was no practical use of there was there was no practical um uh, uh, there was nothing that was being gained from this mm-hmm. and they were acting very frightened. they would throw a stone at this tree and they would they would flee as if they were afraid. and it is very similar to human behavior of a tribe um not that close by, but you know, a a a, 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 a an indigenous uh, a tri- tribe of humans, they're basically building a cairn, and it seems pretty clear that they sensed a certain spirit in that tree. And so, what we are, what 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 has now been witnessed for science is that even you know uh, that non-human apes. Can actually show religious belief, mm. religious. Uh, a, 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 they can have a sense of, of, of religiosity, mm. of, of, of abstract uh, faith in something that is that is not concrete, and do a symbolic action. Mm. So the moment that you understand that, you know, it just brings everything so much closer together, and you say. What really then distinguishes, you know, the human from the ape? Just, you know, like a, the difference between men and boys, the price and size of their toys, you know? Um, but the, the Torah gives us an answer. And that is a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, The idea of discipline, right? To an absolute, you know, um, uh, to, to, to a code of morality that is immutable, for, you know, from heaven. So that in Moran you know, the, the Rambam is going to extend, okay, Adamiteness, uh, not only to Jews, but to Christians and to Muslims. I'm sure that if he understood, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hinduism, and, and, you know, I'm sure that he would, uh, 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 broaden this to uh, to enla- to enlightened religions r- around the world who who do have a concept of of a one even though it's not the um in in the words of uh, uh, Rav Adin Steinsaltz the radical monotheism that is demanded of Am Israel in other words even if they have the general picture that's enough right.
0: He, 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 Rambam considers it a, a positive development for, you know, mankind that e- even though Christianity and Islam, may, it doesn't hit the mark exactly, it's better than the alternative, which was the pagan, you know, primitive world. Um, even beyond that, yeah. Rambam
1: says there are some Gentiles that have such brilliance that it is, it is like Ruach HaKodesh, it's like, it's like Holy Spirit. So, like
0: Aristotle. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, But yes, what you're saying is absolutely true. So So anyway, uh, what what you see here very clearly is a very big place for um, even incipient civilizations, you know, 11,000 years back, 12,000 years back. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before they uncover some beginnings of civilization, maybe under the permafrost in Siberia and all that is just waiting to be discovered, but however whatever starts and stops there were, whatever they arrived at, it's not called a Bria. You can be as brilliant as the Germans in the time of World War II with advanced technology. but spiritually, you are really nothing more than a very uh, brainy and capable ape without Baruch Hu, without morality of without the musar of the torah
0: so i want to get back to this part on on um you know things like beriah and what do, what do they mean and formation and creation all of that but first i want to actually ask you because there's um uh, we were speaking off camera but um there's you said that there's extraordinary evidence for the core historical truth of the stories of genesis like eden and the and its location Um, the Tree of Life and Knowledge, the Kruvim, and so on. So can you elaborate on this?
1: Sure, sure. So basically, um, what you have is, if I can share my screen again?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, great. Uh, So this is a slideshow, actually, uh, um, I've made for one of my courses. And this is a sort of an abstract map. Okay, of this, uh, of the Ajichai Valley, okay, of uh, the, of East Azerbaijan province of, um, of, um, of, of, of Iran. And essentially you have here a meeting place of the four rivers that are mentioned in the Torah uh, pretty clearly and uh, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a limud okay to understand um you know the the identity of the the gihon and the pishon okay but you know the, the in the garden of eden of course we have um you know the following rivers that are mentioned you have the sorry about the the quality here of the image uh, you have the um the the, the you have the pishon the gihon the, the hidekel and the prat the Prat, the euphrates you know the the ancient uh, israelites uh, knew this very well okay they were familiar tigris hidekel that's n- never been um lost
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's called in arabic al tigla al tigla which is you know kind of bridges between hidekel and tigris right tigra mm-hmm. dekel anyway but what trips people up is what the Gihon is and what the Pishon is. So um, what's fascinating is that there was actually a, uh, a, a, a Rav, an a Ashkenazi Chacham um, in the 19th century who actually uh, put the Garden of Eden in this area. And it's basically been a model that has been discovered and rediscovered several times okay but basically in this area you have a um a uh, a river that in the old maps when the um when the 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 muslim armies ended up you know conquering this area um you know in, 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 in several centuries ago okay and the early period of islam they uh we have maps you know, from those times. in this, in what's called the Aras River was originally called the Gaihun Aras. The Gaihun Aras. Gaihun, mm-hmm. Gihun. There's your Gihun. All over this area, you have taponins that have not changed in all of this time over millennia. Khush. kish. All of these different forms of the word khush all over here. You can have kushedag, which literally means the mountain of kush, you know, bordering the Aji-chai valley. And um, why would the Garden of Eden be, by the way, a valley? Because that's in fact what is the the connotation of the word "gun." Gun comes from the same root as defended, protected, like lehagen, hagenna, right? So it is basically a walled-in garden. So what you basically have here is a very, very, very broad valley that is as you know uh, long from end to end as the modern state of Israel, and uh, and it is it, you know it's, it's sandwiched in between the, the, these these beautiful epic mountains, and you have this microclimate. That was there in uh, in in ancient times, that um, and we're talking about the the Neolithic period, the time of Adam, where you had would have had this beautiful Mediterranean climate, and um, you know all the good trees, you know uh, from you know pistachios to apricots and all of the 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 you know a, a broad diversity of Fruits, um, you know, idyllic fruits were there. You had hot springs for people to literally feel that they were in paradise, paradisiacal um, views. And what's very, very fascinating is guess what the word for garden is in Old Greek? The way that that is translated in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. paradisos. Mm. So literally the word for garden, okay, is what gave rise to this word of paradise. And it truly was a paradise for ancient man. So, and this happens to be a place that drains all those four river systems. Because what the Torah Torah talks about, let me just see if I have any uh, better uh, images here that that, uh, can show this a little bit better um yeah here I, I get into the actual wording here um in terms of the the, the that which is found there the gold uh, the onyx stone and um, all of these uh fit together but um you know let me just you know finish here and then, and then we'll get a little bit more into that so basically in short the Aras is the gihon the original gihon okay then you have a river that is called the today the Wijon, and it has been called the Wijon, the Ketzal Wijon, which means the Golden Wijon River, the Golden Wijon. Now, what I love about the Torah is that it shows that Am Yisrael are a little bit later in history. There's just simply so much that came before us, mm. you know what I mean? And you know, Hazal talk about this, about these different you know world orders when Hashem you know um, gave man this particular trial, and then they failed, and so there was a new world order. So there were you know, there's simply a lot that came before um, the people of Israel. So one of the things that ha- that in Hebrew itself has a history to it, and ancient Persian uh, civilization is one of the very, very oldest. And when i mean Persian, I don't mean of Paras, okay, of the Persian people of today. I'm talking about, you know, even the people who predate the Medians, okay? But civilization, civilization goes back there, at least as far as anywhere else. And we have loan words, loan words. Like for example, in English, sapphire is clearly a loan word, Okay, they came from the same source as sapir, mm-hmm. sapir in, 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 in Torah, right? So there was a time you go back to the days of Moshe Rabenu, and they weren't thinking that they were in ancient times, they were in their day and they, they had an ancient past, and their language had deep roots. We have Persian loan words. Okay, and the, the one that I'm I'm thinking of here is the Wijan, any time that from Ancient Persian, okay, uh, we have a word that enters Semitic languages, it gains a p, pa. So linguistically, you can see very easily how wijan became pijan. And it is called, interestingly enough, the golden wijan. And the reason why that's powerful is because when it talks about the pijan, and this is in, uh, in Genesis 2.11. The name of the first river is Pishon. And Hu uh, It is the one that encompasses, it goes around the land of Hawilah. Now, anyway, now it's, this is too too micro, but the land of Hawilah is Arabia. I mean, I mean, any ask any scholar, where is Hawilah? And they will tell you, oh. It must be, that's Arabia, essentially. But the Ramban says something powerful. He says, So he says, that is to clarify that it is not the Hawilah outside of Egypt, i.e. Arabia, right? Of which it is said they dwelled from Hawilah until Shur. But in fact, okay, it is the Hawila where there is gold right and so uh and then we we learned about the tigris that it flows east of ashur pidmat ashur so on the map you know you see where this is going and it brings you there to that place which is not merely in the east of the area of eden okay but another of uh, sorry sorry it's not only the eastern part of eden mm-hmm. but it is east of eden pigmat uh, Eden. Uh, 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 that's where Hashem, um, you know, uh, put the garden, and so it's it all works out that that is where that original garden was, and that's where everything comes together. So, for example, vitis uh, vinifera. Um, here I get into all of the stones, and obviously we don't have time for that. But um in Bida, Hazal uh, tell us that the 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 um, when um the, the 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 tree of knowledge of good and evil, mm-hmm. and that's basically you know the the tree of of sex <laughs> because Dath in Genesis, right is generally relations, physical relations you know, good and evil. And if you look at Hazal and the, the Deep Midrashim on that, it's very clear that th- there's a euphemisms for, you know, some pretty, you know, uh, saucy stuff going on. Hmm. Um, with They say that the Hazal bring down this opinion that the this was none other than the vine. The vine is the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that makes all the sense in the world. Because until this day, alcohol mm-hmm. is a date drug. It's a, a rape, a rape drug, mm-hmm. and you know a little bit of it is an, is an aphor- is an aphrodisiac. It's it's actually very uh, uh, very conducive for relations, but too much of it is is a disaster. It's it's a dat pov warah. You know, the, the Torah is so precise in its words. Every word, every verse is so precise. What's fascinating is that around the world, um, you have you know animals, you know, eating uh overripe fruits, you know, whose ethanol content, you know, has grown, 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 and they get drunk. Hmm. And it's very clear that drunkenness off of overripe fruits, this is a phenomenon all over the world. So Adam didn't even need to be a winemaker. Or you know, so anyway, but where this is the key, this is the clincher. Where does the domesticated grape come from in the world? It went right, you know, very early on, it went to ancient Egypt, it went to Greece, it went to to uh, Anatolia, to Turkey. But where did it come from originally? Right there, in wow. greater Armenia. It's called Vitis vinifera. It is the ancestor of all domesticated grapes. They're wild grapes, you know, species that you don't want to eat them. So that would be, that would work out as the tree of carnal knowledge of good and, you know, good and evil.
0: What's interesting is that, now that you brought it to my attention, the kind of the second creation that takes place in a way where it's like God is starting the world over again with Noah is when he gets off of the Teva, he drinks. It's almost like a, it's mirroring kind of what, what's happening here. And, and he's he in the goes,
1: same area.
0: Yes, and he goes, far, he goes too far, right? So that's uh, fascinating.
1: It's beautiful that you said that because essentially that was the ancient area that would become Urartu, Ararat. Yes. And that is essentially that same area that...
0: Like Turkey, right? The
1: earlier world age was the Edin in Sumerian, okay, mm. or the uncultivated steppe. Mm-hmm. And it's there, by the way, this is extraordinarily important for our our, uh, viewers who are still listening uh, to to fathom that it is there that you have the beginnings of agriculture and the beginnings of animal husbandry. There and at that time, Um, you know, it's beginning in other pockets of the world as well. But that is, uh, again, this is the story of Adam. And uh, that those are the careers of Cain and Abel. Pine, the farmer and Abel, the shepherd
0: beautiful so um i know we don't have much time but i do want to get a few more questions in sure. particularly course. on um you know concepts like uh you know creation of of uh of uh um the world creation formation and also i want to get into the long ages of of uh you know, the early man, right? We have in the Torah, you mentioned those 10 generations, Mm. 100 something years and and 500 something years. Like, what does that all mean?
1: Oh, sure. Okay, definitely. We'll get into that. Um, So when it comes to uh, the, okay, one of the the things that's difficult uh, for people in the creation story, the first one, which uh, I'm portraying as actually conveying um, a very, um, you know, a, 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 an account that can be tied into reality and can be um, really, um, you know, integrated with how we understand the, the creation of life, the, the rise of life. So, uh, but what trips people up is the word waivra. is some, some people understand that wayivra is something from nothing ex nihilo like poof okay and uh, it's important that people understand that every single word about a verb active verb of the creator creating they are all something from something else mm. all of them um so uh for example you have uh, a why not for example the r3 wayas Yitzer uh, and Wayivra. Wayas is to make, Yitzer is to form, Wayivra is to create, but all of them connote something from a former material. What? Why, how, yivra, how do you understand that there is definitely not something from nothing? That when Hashem, makes man or makes the tanini agdolim this is not poof mm. simple it's in the torah itself if um y- you go to the um the 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 sin of the of um it's the and korah the rebellion of Torah, you see that moshe is telling the people of Hashem is going to make a 'ah. bri'ah. And the earth is going to open up its mouth, right? And these, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 people are going to fall in. Then you're going to know that Hashem uh, sent me. And it's very interesting that he calls this fissure in the earth, because that's clearly what it is, that is opening up, right? I'm from California, so (laughs) (laughs) San Andreas Fault. Yes. right? This is, uh, you know, part of our world there. Um, you know, Fisher is going to open up and um, these people are going to fall in, then you know, th- 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 that is being called in the Torah a bri'ah. Mm. What's fascinating is that in mishnah avot, right, the mishnah of the fathers, this is, uh, uh, to, to me, the, the most beautiful part of the mishnah, It is uh, that which is giving Musar, uh, you know, character building teachings.
0: Jewish Jewish, uh, Stoicism, basically.
1: There you go. Exactly. And (laughs) love it. So you have in there the things that were created on the twilight of the sixth day. And in other words, you have something that's already pre-existing from before Adam. Yes. And one of them is the mouth of the earth. Hmm. It is obvious that Chachmaya Mishnah were trying to teach us that even that fissure in the earth that is being called a bri'ah, a novel creation, right, comes from before. And it couldn't be anything wow. else. There, what what It works out so beautifully. Not everything, by the way, you know, of these types of, of agada of hazal, work out so beautifully, but this one does. You can imagine it makes very good sense that what maybe 8,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, you know, you had that fissure, you know, kind of loosening and kind of opening up uh, inside the crust of the earth. Mm. And it's just going to open up at that time.
0: Mm. I'm actually, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I believe um, Ibn Ezra mentions the fact that it's not, Biriyah is not always something from nothingness but I do have a question because then what I'm assuming you take the idea of yesh mi yesh right you accept the like meaning when Hashem created the world the first beriah um was that also coming from some type of primordial matter or or is that the is the first creation really um is the pshat yesh me ayin is it is it something from nothing
1: Okay, so first of all, I'm gonna uh, be a good Jew and answer a question with a question. And that is that there's, there's some kind of a, of a philosophical difficulty that we're presenting people who don't uh, readily think like we do. You know, when we talk to each other, it's like we're preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. But I would like to speak to those who are saying, what even gives you the right to even approach the Torah like this? Isn't the Torah so great that we, it should just stand by itself uh, you know what is it that you're that, that that you're doing here? You're even you know compromising maybe uh, simpler understandings. You know wh- wh- what gives you the philosophical permission to do this? The Torah itself. The Torah tells us, It is your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of drumroll, drumroll, drumroll the nations. Mm. So when ancient Egyptians, ancient Greeks, you know, when they would get together their sages, what they had in common that they would discuss, of course, are basically the, the, the early beginnings of science. Mm. And until this day, that is the lingo franca, okay, of discourse about the world. In other words, whether a person is a believer in Shinto or a, a Hindu or or a Christian, a Jew, uh, there, what we, when we come together and we want to discuss uh, a drought that is affecting a region, you know, different countries, it, it, science is the language of the nations. Mm-hmm. So, the, so it's very important that what we, uh, to me, I understand this as an implicit. Uh, uh, suggestion to uh, to make sure to interpret the Torah in a rational way. Mm. You, so that, that that I think I said that's a very important thing. So going back to your question, can you repeat your question? Yeah,
0: just this, this basically about um, is. Is the creation, the first creation, uh, Bereshit, is that something from, from nothing or is that something mm-hmm. from some type of primordial right. matter? Not that it matters, because it's not Hashem. Meaning so one... what happened is not the creation of the world. People always make this, often make this mistake. There's mm-hmm. a difference, meaning that, that Hashem is the universe and he's not, he's separate. So, so, so what, what I would
1: like to do for our viewers is to tell you what my great Torah teachers, uh, Rabbi Ralph, Ralph Tawil, uh um um uh, you know Rab- levto all my, my my the 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 great rabbis uh that, that, that i trained under they would say what do you think i what i love about the ramba what inspires me about the rambam is that if something is unclear in the 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 in chazal or mm-hmm. unclear in the Torah it is unclear in the Mishnah Torah yes If if it's clear in the Torah or clear in Hazal, it's clear in the Mishnah Torah. So I simply don't like to speculate about things that we're just simply learning more about all of the time. I think the Torah opens itself to different ways of understanding these things. And that particular question of what came earlier, it could very well be that our universe came from a previous universe.
0: It's beyond our it's beyond our understanding. And it's also,
1: beyond our understanding. And I think this is an important principle also in terms of how to think. And that is that when we don't need to speculate, why speculate? The most important thing to me is big picture. The and, fact that Moshe emmet wa torato
0: Yes. But well, the Ramam also presents Plato's as a possib- Plato's view as a possibility. He says he 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 agrees with Aristotle to an extent, and um, but in terms of bereshit meaning there is a beginning you know that's where he um has to agree, he has to disagree with aristotle um but he makes a very interesting and profound statement uh basically saying that if aristotle is to be proven right we must look at the word bereshit as a mashal in that scenario so to me, this is like the the biggest example of intellectual honesty we could ever find from from a rabbi. To me, it's the most amazing thing because he's not married to some type of dogmatic idea about about uh, the creation. Again, when it comes to God's unity and it comes to Hashem, we that's there, there should be no debate. But when it comes to the creation of the world, which is not God, you know, it's we're open to many every possibility. We can't just think one way so um, I pre- and, and I, I I do have to wrap it up but I do want to end on one thing if we can um and I want to do this again because I feel like we have a lot to talk about um but on the issue of of the the age of you know all the people like uh and all the people who live so many years how do you how do we explain that kind of in a rational way
1: very simple um it's called the cadet branch model. Now, by the way, I just want to say something to our viewers, okay? I do not look at myself as, you know, the master of all truth, okay? I like to look at myself, hopefully, as an example of a person who is on a journey of truth. And, um, you know, perhaps, you know, other people, um, maybe they're as far along as I am. Maybe they're not quite that much. Maybe someone in a particular field has a greater insight than I do. The point is, is none of these solutions are themselves torami sinai. That's extremely important, okay? Um, So for example, when it comes to the cadet branch model, which I'm about to explain, okay, this is one solution, but what I love about it is how parsimonious it is. So for example, parsimonious, by the way, is just simply, I mean, how, when you have two different models, how do you decide which one makes more sense? Mm -hmm. That which is simpler, and that which explains more. So what's uh, fascinating is how, um, when if you look uh, later in the Torah, and so that's not in, in Torah, but in, um, in 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 you have um, with David Alehem Le'Olam. There is a prophecy that the Davidic dynasty is going to. Uh, rule again over uh, over Israel forever. When it talks about the Davidic dynasty, it says with David It calls that entire dynasty as if it's David literally coming out of his grave and ruling the the world, you know, it, it, as 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 a person. Mm. And. You actually and and in the table of nations in in Noah, in, in Noah right? And in the, the end of Brashit and, and in Noah, you see very clearly um, whole nations, nation lines, okay, being described as single individuals. Mm. So um, a really uh, easy example of this is, is is Egypt, okay? Egypt is called in Hebrew Mitzrayim. All right? And that connotes a double, right? Two ears, oznaim, right? Two hands, yadaim, mitzrayim, which is Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt, right? And that's rooted, that's a, it, it, that is tied in with the Hebrew root metzar, uh, which is ditch or canal. Hmm. And that's the foundation of Egyptian civilization, that they took, they had, they, they had canals, Drawing water out from the Nile further afield, facilitating this incredible civilization that lasted two thousand years. Mm-hmm. So the um, that they the, so you learn in the word Mitzrayim everything about Egypt in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Up, there's upper there different their their kingdoms. So it's, it's it's very difficult to say that Ham's wife you know was uh, had had a child and um you know the baby came out of this let's call him let's call him the uh, double double irrigation ditch <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you understand so these these what, what, what the torah is doing is from a very a, a simple perspective telling you the branching out of peoples according to the origin of their cultures. So for example, the Hittites are called the Canaanite people, but they, you know, physically they actually originated in Hatti between the Black Sea and the Caspian. So what what you have something a lot broader going on. So what works out very beautifully, and there are actually examples in Genesis, I don't have really time to really get into the micro, but I could I show my students examples of this in, in Bereshit, in fact, in the very same humash of the humash, right, where what, what's being spoken of is a family line, and you have the branching off, and that's why in the line of Cain, the line of Cain, and in the line of Seth, you have names that are clearly in common, they're You know, you have basically these two peoples that are occupying the same region Mm -hmm. and sometimes they have a distinct ruler and sometimes they have a ruler over both of them. Mm -hmm. So there's Methuselah and there's methusha'el. There's Lamech and Lamech in these two lines. So this is clearly not speaking about a single Methuselah, okay, who lived nearly a thousand years okay or a single Adam, but you're talking about um uh, d- dynastic lines or cadet branches that are being called by an eponymous ancestor.
0: well it also talks about their instruments that they use and 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 kind of like their technology that they had. Um, so in a way it's it's really describing not just, people but also kind of an age like in the age of the iron age or the bronze age or whatever it is and there is an overlap in many cases because sometimes those eras kind of coincide with each other so Mm -hmm. it makes sense the way if we're understanding it this way it actually aligns perfectly with um you know the modern understanding of of how things were in those days so um, this is really profound, and I think this is a this could be an entire episode on its own. But and I have, uh,
1: I have great images that I could, I could show that really illustrate it very simply and beautifully.
0: So I want everybody to you know sign up for your program. Um, so I'm gonna so, I'm gonna put everything up in the in the description so that they can find you and hopefully uh, we can do this again. I really enjoyed. Yes,
1: we have a course that's just starting this coming Sunday. And we would love as many of you uh, to be there as possible. It begins with a, again, it's a course, it's a 15 module course on the Exodus. It's called Exodus Comes to Life. And it begins with a free webinar. And um, it is just, it's, it is most extraordinary. You can uh, check out the links that um, that Ben is going to to share. And we would love to have you with us around the world next Sunday.
0: Thank you so much. And really, let's really try to do this again. I really enjoy it. This is like my favorite topic. So <laughs> thank you.
1: I I, I I enjoyed it at least as much. Um, the honor is all mine.
0: Thank you. All right. Take care.
1: Take care. All the best.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into the Judaism Demystified podcast. We really appreciate all your support and your feedback. If you want to help us, grow the podcast, keep spreading the word, share it with your friends family or whoever you think would be interested we also opened a Patreon so you can become a patron contribute any small amount you'd like which would really help us grow the show, Um, our Patreon is www.patreon.com slash Judaism pretty easy to remember thank you again and we hope to keep putting out great shows for you guys